0: As I look at my own life, I might say, yeah, that's a, a reason why. That's, that's something opened up by this moment. And maybe that's all any of us should ask for, is just to see that step. Ask yourself, what's the opportunity for love that's been opened up to me by this moment? That, to me, is the best way to approach it.
1: Welcome back to the Word on Fire show for this special episode devoted to the coronavirus pandemic. I know we're all suffering through it, we're all wondering what to do, we're all looking for hope, so Bishop Barron and I wanted to sit down and talk a little bit about it with you. I'm Brandon Vott, the host of the show, and of course, as always, I'm here with Bishop Barron. Bishop, you're in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, which in some ways is kind of right in the heart of all of this stuff going on. What's it been like there?
0: Well, it's weird, I would say. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time on the phone. Uh, Last week, I had meetings with the um, USCCB in Washington, but our trip was canceled, but we met by phone. This past week, I was on the phone almost all the time with the archbishop, the other bishops, various people in the archdiocese, and we're trying to make the best of this and respond to the the demands of the state, but also the needs of our people, and it's just been a, a rough go. It feels like every day a new curveball is thrown at us. In fact, right after I record this with you, I'm going back to the house because we have another call with the archbishop and the auxiliaries. And then right after that, I'm having a conference call with the priests of deanery one, which is one of the deaneries in my region, because the priests are are often wondering, well, now, what do we do next? And so anyway, we're we're kind of scrambling, uh, doing the best we can at a, a difficult time.
1: I know at this period, Bishop, so many people are discouraged that they can no longer find a public mass. Basically, every diocese has shut down public celebrations of the mass. But yeah. we've been offering, thanks to your leadership, video of daily mass from your chapel in Santa Barbara. Viewers can find that at wordonfireshow.com slash mass. That's the website. Every morning at 8.15 a.m. Eastern time, we share the liturgy, either with Bishop Barron as the celebrant or Father Steve Grunow, our CEO, as the celebrant. And I know, Bishop, you've been particularly excited to see all the pictures from people all over the world who are joining us for the Mass. Hundreds of thousands of people. I know that's excited you, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, beautiful. I was deeply moved by them. Thank you. You first sent them to me, then they went up on our Facebook page. But I don't know, to me, it just it spoke of the, the power of the Mass and the indispensability of the Eucharist. You know, we're doing the Mass, as you know, Brandon, in a very simple way because of the restrictions in my chapel, because of the social distancing thing. We can't have, you know, musicians and all this. So it's a very simple enactment of the Roman Rite, but yet, you know, people are drawn to it, because it's not the the decoration that matters so much, it's the essential element of it, which is uh, the Word of God and the Eucharist. And so, I, I just been very moved by that, seeing how people are participating. Um, we're doing, as I say, in a pretty simple, straightforward way, but it's the power of Christ in the Eucharist that has galvanized the Church up and down the centuries. And we're going through a kind of you know, crisis right now around the Catholic world. But um, you know, doing the best we
1: can, people still respond to the power of the Eucharist. Well, I'd like to encourage everybody watching this to please join us for Mass each day. Again, you can find it at wordonfireshow.com slash Mass. We share the video at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Time each morning. But if you can't watch it right then, you can always go back and watch it later in the day. Well, can I
0: say one more thing too, Brandon, about it is... The fact that we have Father Steve, who's the CEO of Word on Fire, preaching on a very regular basis. So I'm doing some of the masses, but Father Steve's doing a lot of them. And for my money, he's one of the best preachers in the country. And uh, so give people a chance to hear him. And they're very short uh, they're they're punchy, they're pointed, but very good homilies. So I'm very pleased that his voice can get out a little bit more.
1: And Bishop, as expected, so many people are devastated by the restrictions placed around the sacraments. You know, churches are no longer having public masses, confessionals are closed, marriages and confirmations have been canceled. I've seen some engaged couples that were preparing to get married in just a couple of weeks, and now their marriage is off and they're not sure what they're going to do. Or people that are preparing for almost a year to come into the church at Easter and now the Easter Vigil Mass is off and so they're not sure what they're going to do. I think the prevailing sentiment for so many Catholics is just despair, hopelessness, emptiness. We're wondering how we can crawl out of this situation. So maybe let's start there. Where can Catholics find hope in the midst of such a crushing situation, you know, I'd say this, Brandon. First, that it is bad. You know, and and the the
0: instinct behind your question is a good one because we Catholics we're we're an institutional people in a way, meaning you know Christ has expressed Himself precisely through the great sacraments of the Church, which are made available typically through the institutions of the Church, and so when Mass is called off, churches are shuttered, confirmations are called off, weddings call off. Yeah, that's a real problem. So I don't want to sugarcoat that. And I tell you the truth, I mean, every bishop and every priest in America, I mean, is feeling the heartache of this. Because this is not something, you know, just, oh, well, we can dispense with that. No, this is a very serious blow. I mean, I, I, I fully admit that. Now, at the same time, has Christ given up on his church? Obviously not. Has the church shut down? And the answer there is no. So indeed, some of the church buildings have shut down and indeed the opportunity for direct involvement in the sacraments has shut down. But the church is not shut down because the church is the mystical body of Jesus. So under his headship and lordship, the mystical body does its work. Now, right now, our work is a bit truncated. That's true. But, you know, the work of, of prayer, the work of solidarity, the work of, you know, what we're doing through the Internet right now. I remember saying this at... Uh, one of the meetings with the bishops last week, I said, yeah, a lot of our apparatus has shut down but we do have these extraordinary tools and I think through the providence of God. And this is now the the way by which we should continue to reach out to our people. Have you been struck, I have, by just the the, um, uh, number of of these masses online and rosaries online and retreats online and so on.
1: Uh, I think that's a tremendously powerful sign. Bishop, I know another thing a lot of people wonder about is why is God permitting this? You know, this is the question we hear as a result of, of every major national di- disaster, from tsunamis to earthquakes to hurricanes and now to this pandemic. People look around and say, all this suffering, all this despair, all of these restrictions, all of the curtailing of the sacraments, why is God allowing this to happen? What do you say to that sort of question?
0: Right, it's the question of questions, isn't it? And I, you know, taught the doctrine of God for many years at the seminary, and we always spent a lot of time with this question. Uh, I'll say a couple simple things about it because it would take us, you know, ten years to search out all the dimensions of it. Does God permit evil at times to bring about a greater good? Yeah, that principle goes back to Saint Augustine, reiterated by Saint Thomas Aquinas. It remains, seems to me. The most adequate general account of this problem. So God doesn't cause evil. It's God's purely good. But God can permit evil at times to bring about some greater good. Okay, principle is true. Problems come in when we try to get super specific about that. So, oh, I get it. God permitted this so that this might happen. Oh, here's the reason why this thing has happened. That's almost always wrong. You know You know this, Brandon, in logic you've got the fallacy of, of the um, univocal cause or the, the unique cause. So here's a phenomenon. Well, what caused it? Oh, here's this one thing. Well, it's rarely that way, right? In fact, there's usually a whole conjuries of causes, a whole set of influences that give rise to a given phenomenon. Well, I'll just turn that around and talk about the fallacy of the singular effect. So. Something has happened. Well, now why? Why? Well, for this one reason. Well, certainly when it comes to God, that's hardly ever the case. Now why? Because the providential God is concerned with all of space and all of time. Why has God permitted, let's say now in our case, why has God permitted this evil of the coronavirus? There could be 85 million four hundred and seventy five thousand two hundred there could be there could be a million times a billion effects reasons why god has done this you know here's an image i used to use in class um you know if you're playing a a single game of chess let's say there are two chess masters playing a single game of chess how complex that is right how a chess master is thinking you know 10 moves ahead of his opponent and just trying to keep that game understood is a huge uh, undertaking. Now, there's this chess that the super masters can play where you stack chessboards one on top of another. And you're playing now not just in these two dimensions, but in three dimensions. You're playing several games at once. Now, imagine that, but stack the chessboards a million times. A million chessboards, a million games being played that would give you some idea of the causal range of god so how come something happened on one of those chessboards i mean how would i possibly know how would any of us who have a little tiny command maybe of one corner of one chessboard how would we begin to understand what almighty god is up to as he plays a million stacked chessboards I think that's a way, anyway, of getting some context for the hyper-complexity of this issue. Now, here's, here's a last thought. Remember John Henry Newman's marvelous um, Leave Kindly Light, his great poem. The distant scene, I, I don't need that, Lord. One step enough for me. In other words, he asked that the kindly light of God illumine not the whole schema Maybe in heaven we'll see that. We'll see what God's up to in all of space and time. But all I ask for, Lord, is light for my next step. So I'll give you an example. In your life right now, how has this whole situation, so we're all suffering from this coronavirus thing, either directly, it's physically affecting some people, or all of us, at least kind of psychologically and so on, are affected by it. What's the opportunity for love that is granted to me right now? Now, I'll give you an example uh, in my own life. So I, there's this book on, on the creed that I've been thinking about working on here and there in dribs and drabs over the past many months. Now I find myself with, with more time because my schedule's opened up. And so I've actually returned to that book with a lot more energy and, and, uh, and efficacy. You mean God allowed the coronavirus so that you might return your book on the creed? No, no. I'm just saying that for me right now, one effect of this time is that I have that opportunity to love. We say, how's that an act of love? Well, one thing is it involves the contemplation of God, which is an act of love. And I hope in writing that book, I do some spiritual good for other people. As I look at my own life, I might say, yeah, that's a a reason why. That's, That's something opened up by this moment. And maybe that's all any of us should ask for, is just to see that step. Ask yourself, what's the opportunity for love that's been opened up
1: to me by this moment? That, to me, is the best way to approach it. So it sounds like what you're saying, Bishop, is that the question we should focus on is less why did this happen or why is God permitting this to happen? And instead, what should we do as a result? How do we carry on our faith despite this tremendously difficult time? I think, too, that a lot of Catholics who are frustrated by the restrictions around the sacraments are hungering for other ways to sustain their relationship with Christ and his church. So what are some non-sacramental practices that you could recommend to help get us through this hard period? Well, it's a lot, isn't there, Brandon? We've mentioned already
0: participating in the online Masses. So it's not the the full experience of being at Mass, not receiving the Lord, but yet it's a way of participating to a degree in the Mass, the liturgy of the Word, by way of spiritual communion to enter into the uh, experience of the Eucharist. So I'd recommend that. There are tons available now all over the internet, How about priests and bishops and and other people praying the rosary online? You can have a kind of virtual community that way. One thing I'd emphasize too, Brandon, is um, the reading of spiritual classics. I did a a, um, commentary a few days ago about that. But here's your moment to pick up one of the great spiritual classics of our tradition, whether it's Augustine's Confessions or Merton's Seven-Story Mountain or Dante's Divine Comedy. Uh, Here's your chance to read one of these great books. Something else... Be aware right now acutely of who your neighbors are. Now, I know, you know, social distancing and all that we're meant to keep. But who are some of the elderly people in your neighborhood right now? Who are some of the lonely people in your neighborhood right now? Maybe some people are kind of, you know, reveling in in isolation, but many others, it's a great burden. Uh, Can you do shopping for some people? Can you get food for people? Maybe help them you know, get the food from the local restaurant that's still doing the takeout. What are the opportunities for love? And the second question, who are your neighbors right now? Do we even know who's right around us that we could be uh, helpful to? I'd also speak, Brandon, about uh, various devotions. You know, I, I do think it was a loss after Vatican II that we put such an enormous stress on the Mass. As though the mass, you know, source and summit of the Christian life, absolutely. But as though the mass had to bear all the weight. Go prior to the council, and there were lots and lots of devotional practices. From Stations of the Cross, to Novenas, to devotions to particular saints. um, The Rosary, obviously. Well, recover some of those. Uh, Recover a devotion to a saint. Uh, we mentioned certain saints, uh, the local parish here that's right across from my house, San Rochi. Well, San Rochi is San Roque in French, Scirocco in Italian. San Roque was a, a saint very involved in a time of, of plague and ministering to plague victims. Uh, find a saint with relevance to this time and uh, cultivate a devotion to him or to her. So lots of ways, I think. And let me go out on a limb a little bit here. I think, and go back to our earlier question, uh Has there been the opening of a door here for real spiritual opportunity during this crisis? Has it compelled some people to hunger again for the spiritual? When the normal avenues have been closed off, they've realized how how much they need the Lord and and how hungry they are for the things of the Spirit. And has it awakened in Catholics and others a, a deeper desire, and that's, that's maybe a good thing. Uh, maybe we needed this time to realize the limits of our, of our secularism. Maybe we got a little bit lazy in our practice. And having the mass in a certain way taken away from us, maybe that's awakening the hunger and that's all to the good.
1: Bishop, you and I have talked about the problem of evil many times on this podcast. And whenever we do, we focus on the fact that God permits certain acts of evil and suffering, including natural disasters like this, in order to bring about greater goods. And those goods could include things like the revival of non-sacramental spiritual practices like we've been discussing. It calls to mind a, a quote that I found on social media this week from my friend Meg Hunter Kilmer. Meg said this on Instagram, she said, I'm pretty excited for the biographies that are going to be written decades from now (laughs) that are going to say Saint X was lukewarm in the practice of her faith until the Great Lent of 2020 when much of the world was deprived of the sacraments for weeks on end. The hunger that she felt during that desert season drove her to a deep love of Jesus in the Eucharist And when mass was reopened to the public, she became a daily communicant and an unparalleled evangelist. Mm -hmm. How can we use times like this in ways that are spiritually advantageous? You know, instead of just lamenting how bad the times are, how can we turn that on its head and use it to our advantage?
0: Yeah, and that's very good because go back to the chessboard thing, uh, the stacked chessboards that God is playing. He's dealing not just with space, all of space, but also all of time. How come bad things are happening now? Well, maybe it's for a good that we will never see. Oh, that's unfair. Well, who are we to say it's unfair? God's playing with all the space and all of time. Maybe something's happening now so that a saint might emerge precisely when she's most needed in the life of the church. You know, let's pursue this uh, point a little bit. No Hitler no maximilian kolbe no hitler no edith stein so that's the reason for the holocaust no no it's perhaps one of the effects of god allowing that tremendous evil of the holocaust Um, what are the full effects then of maximilian kolbe of edith stein i mean who knows who knows we're just beginning to see perhaps um what is God up to? I don't know. How would I possibly know? That's like asking a, a third grader to, to solve the most complex problem in trigonometry. How would you possibly know? And so the best thing is to say, Lord, I trust in you that you allow evil to bring about a greater good. And then, Lord, give me the grace to respond to this opening of the door that's right in front of me. I don't ask for the distant scene. One step
1: enough for me. That's a good way to approach it. Bishop, at a time like this when so few Catholics are able to get to Mass physically, there's a lot of talk about a concept known as spiritual communion and how even if you can't make it to Mass, you can watch Mass online and maybe say a prayer of spiritual communion. What's this all about and how does it work? Well, it's a very ancient practice really in the church. Whenever people, for whatever
0: reason, couldn't get to mass or fully participate in mass. That could be you know, physical distance. It could be illness it Could be someone in an irregular um, Moral state and they they are not allowed to receive a communion Whatever that reason we can still Participate in the mass and I'm using that word in its metaphysical sense Participation is a good Catholic principle that to a degree I can share in uh, The phenomenon in question. So here the mass Yes, to be physically present. Yes, to receive into my own body, the body and blood of Jesus. That's what it means to be fully participating in the Mass. But are there more mitigated forms of participation? Yeah, sure. So when you're watching a Mass on screen and you're hearing the the Word of God, okay, but you're not right there and with your fellow worshipers. But now even more importantly, time has come for communion and you can't receive in the full sense. And look, we're an incarnational religion. We take the body very seriously. So yes, that matters that people are physically present that they receive. But when you can't do that, and now for our reasons, because it's, it's a, this time of epidemic, well, you can participate to a degree. And you do it by this prayer that expresses your desire for the Eucharist, your belief in the real presence, your your connection to it, both intellectually and through will, if I can put it that way. That's really how Thomas Aquinas saw it. A prayer that acknowledges you know what's going on here and that your will expresses its desire for the Eucharist. That's a lovely thing, I think. And it applies in a lot of different situations, but it applies now especially for us. So I'd say those who can, yeah, go online. Participate in the Mass. You know, something I like Brandon, even as you're you're watching the mass don't just you know maybe slouch on the couch but but maybe participate through kneeling and sitting and standing the way you would at mass um, i think those are all good ways to at least approach the fullness of the experience
1: we do that in our family as we're watching the daily oh, yeah. word on yeah. fire masses as we're kneeling down we're standing up you know we're good. we're crossing ourselves and it feels weird at first i got to admit and everybody yeah. else will feel the same way the first couple times you do it but then you get into the groove and it feels normal. And then what, what I really like about the Masses that we've been sharing at wordonfireshow.com Mass is that we display a prayer of spiritual communion yeah. uh, right after the, the distribution of communion. So even if you aren't there in Bishop Barron's Chapel, you can still pray this prayer. You can still receive all the graces that flow through the Eucharist, even in such a time as this. Yeah, it's amazing as I record
0: those masses, you know, in that little tiny chapel, you've been there, I mean, just as a handful of people could fit in there. But as I'm looking into that camera, I am thinking about, you know, these, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And, and I feel, even though they're not there physically, I feel this, this strange sense of, of communion. But it's it's born of the mystical body, it's born of the Eucharist, it's born of our our sense of of
1: being members of the church together. So it's, you know, in its own way, it's very beautiful. In addition to the questions about spiritual communion, another thing we're seeing a lot on social media is Catholics asking, why can't the sacraments be mediated digitally? So why can't, for instance, I Skype Bishop Barron and, and offer my confession, or why can't you know the other sacraments be communicated digitally? What what is it about the Catholic thing that requires us to be in person for these sacraments?
0: I'd say it's the incarnational sensibility, right? That uh, Jesus you know reached out and, and touched people physically. Think of putting his. Fingers in the man's ear, you know, touching his tongue and being imposing hands. The the, the apostles imposing hands in the act of ordination, etc. we an incarnational faith, and so that personal connection. Confession is a good example, you know, uh, because the famous, uh, more Protestant objection. You know, why can't you simply confess to God? Well, as the Pope specified the other day, it was interesting. That's a good part of the Catholic tradition, you know. In if you cannot get to confession you can, through what we call a perfect act of contrition, you can, before God, confess your sin and so on. With the proviso that, at the first opportunity, you will go to sacramental confession. But sure, we acknowledge in case of emergency and so on, you can confess your sin directly to God. But we're, I would say, Brandon, a stubbornly incarnational religion. We we believe in the importance of the body, of that personal contact, uh, whether it's a voice or of hands or, or whatever. I think that's the reason for it. Now, having said that, we just described a kind of virtual participation in the mass that's possible through the internet, on screens, and so on. So there's a, to a degree, it can be practiced, but I think the incarnational sensibility pushes us toward full participation.
1: One thing we've been discussing a lot internally at Word on Fire is the the distinctively Christian response to a pandemic like this. You know, I think a lot of us hear all the news, we see the churches shuttering, we see all the restrictions from the government, and we naturally just think of how it affects me and Mm -hmm. my family. And we have this myopic view of the ramifications, but Christianity places such an emphasis on the love of neighbor, especially those who are isolated on the margins, the elderly, the orphans, et cetera. How should Christians be viewing this pandemic in light of the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves?
0: Yeah, just that, what you just said. Do we know the people in our neighborhood? So don't make that an abstraction, like, oh yeah, I'm interested in my, my neighbor or the marginalized. Well, who are the marginalized right on your block? Who are the people right in your neighborhood who are elderly, who are lonely, who are frightened, who need someone to shop for them, et cetera. So I think that's a great opportunity. That's a door that opens. But make it as concrete and incarnational as possible, um, lest it be just a veleity or a spiritual abstraction. Um, who are your neighbors? Who are they? Name them. Go visit them. Or maybe you can't visit. <laughs> Call them anyway. Call them. Reach out through the, through the computer if they have that kind of technology. Whatever. But establish contact. Um, that's something I've been telling the priests, in fact, of my region, when we get together. and We talk about... You know some of these sacramental issues and all that, but we also talk about, well, what are we doing to reach out to the people that, that we know? You know every, every good pastor knows the people in his community who are elderly or sick or homebound. All right, what are we doing? How, how are
1: we establishing contact with them? Uh, that's a good question to ask right now. Bishop, I wanna end this discussion on a note of hope because I know even still with all of the qualifications we've discussed, all the insight, there's, there's still Catholics feeling so disheartened at a moment like this. So what reason do we have for hope? Why should we be hopeful in this dire situation? We're hopeful
0: because of Jesus Christ. I mean, we don't look for hope to our, our politicians or to the economy or to uh, the culture. I mean, you can find little rays of good things there, sure. But hope? We look to Christ. Christ who conquered death. Christ who died for us, rose from the dead for our justification. Christ who's alive, who guides the church, is present to it. Christ who is sending each one of us in our own way right now on mission. So keep your eyes fixed on him. Uh, I know it's been uh, overworked, this theme, but you know Peter walking on the water. As long as he's looking at the Lord, he walks on the water. But we're going through a pretty stormy time right now. And Peter in the boat with the disciples. That's always an image of the church, right? And it's gone through rough times I must say in the last several years. It's been pretty rough water, right? You and I have been following you know, from the McCarrick problems and I think of Out here that terrible Thomas fire a couple years ago. I think of the Montecito mudslide that killed 25 people um, You know, we've been going through some rough times Okay, okay but keep your eyes fixed on Christ and you can walk on the water. It's when you look around at the at the waves, that's when you sink.
1: So that's where we find our hope. We find it in Christ. Bishop, any last words that you'd like to share with people about the coronavirus pandemic?
0: You know what has occurred to me, and Father Steve was very helpful in, uh, in making me see this, is to be grateful to so many people on the front lines. And so obviously those who work in the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, also the first responders, But also, some real quiet heroes. I think people that are working in grocery stores and stocking shelves. And, uh, you know, a lot of those grocery workers, when this thing first broke and there was all this hoarding going on, and people were, they were really on the front lines of this. And uh, so it's a lot of, uh, you know, good, simple people doing their jobs to keep the society going when, you know, heck, our economy is kind of ground to a halt. But there are some, I think, quiet heroes that are doing very important work. So pray for them, thank them when you see them. Maybe one final uh, gesture, Brandon, we could make is, uh, is to pray. So let's um, invoke the Mother of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And let me offer a final blessing to everybody. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever and ever. Amen.
1: Well, thanks for that, Bishop. And thanks all of you for watching this special episode of the Word on Fire Show. Know that we're praying for you and we're with you spiritually. And again, I'd like to invite you to join us every morning for the Holy Mass. You can find it at wordonfireshow.com slash mass. Every morning you can join either Bishop Barron or Father Steve Grunow. He's the other celebrant for a time of liturgy, of prayer, and of spiritual communion. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world are watching this together with you. So when you watch it, you know you're not alone. We'd love to see you there. Again, the website's wordonfireshow.com mass. Well, thanks for watching this, and we'll see you next time on the Word on Fire Show.
0: Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, I encourage you to share it and be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel.